Welcome to Elevate Louisiana's Engage Videocast. Elevate Louisiana was founded in 2020 to empower women leaders throughout Louisiana by connecting and educating them on the challenges impacting our state with data-driven nonpartisan solutions to make a better future for Louisiana. Hello, I'm your host, Julie Stokes. Today, we are recording the second episode in a series on the Louisiana budget. Our guests joining us today are Greg Albrecht and Chris Keaton. Greg has been the Chief Economist of the Louisiana Legislative Fiscal Office since 1991. In this role, he is responsible for forecasting the state's major tax revenues, estimating the fiscal impact of tax legislation, as well as providing general economic, tax, and fiscal analysis to the legislature. Chris Keaton has worked in state government for 29 years and was recently elected to be the Legislative Fiscal Officer. He previously worked for House Fiscal Division for 16 years, where I worked with him on a constant basis, as the office's deputy director and as a budget analyst for several areas of state government, including the Department of Health. Chris served for two years as the undersecretary for the Department of Public Safety, where he provided management oversight of the operations of the department. Welcome, Greg, and welcome, Chris. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. Very good to have you here. Um, you know, we wanted to do this particular session because the Legislative Fiscal Office provides most of the information that the legislature relies upon in making its decisions, um, both in planning for the session, when with, they determine what the overall budget limits are to be in balance with the revenues that are coming in. And that's kind of what Greg will talk about. He'll talk about the revenues that are anticipated in the process um, to, to, to determine that. And then Chris will talk about how they take those numbers from revenue and figure out how much government spending can occur in order to have a balanced budget. Um, so we'll start first with looking at the revenue side. Um, yesterday, um, we're recording this on uh, January, gosh, what is it now, the 20th? <laughs> and yesterday was um, the Revenue Estimating Committee. And if you saw that, you might have seen Greg giving a similar presentation yesterday. Um, so I'm just gonna turn it over to Greg right now and let him go ahead and go through a small slideshow and we can talk a little bit about the impact COVID's had on our economy and therefore our revenue picture and where we can expect to go from here. All right, so, all right. take it away. All right, thank you, Julie. Um, Start off here with the first slide here that just sort of summarizes the overall employment situation in the state. Uh, this, the, the top green line is total payroll employment. These are W-2 payroll employed jobs establishment surveyed. Uh, this does not include 1099 and gig workers. This is the traditional payroll, uh, uh, payroll employment concept that's tracked. The bottom line, the blue line is uh, the private sector out of the total. The difference would be the government sector, state, uh, local, and federal combined. Uh, I started here with January 20, uh, because that's 2020 year pre, I'm gonna call January and February pre-COVID. If I went back for several more months, I'd still have almost essentially a flat line. So easy to start there. You see the fall off started a little bit in March and then really dropped down in uh, April. And that was the sort of the trough point and in those two months, we lost 273,000 total, total, total payroll jobs. We lost more employment than that because we lost a lot of independent contractor work. 
but the traditional tracking shed 273,000 jobs. Since then, in the following seven months through November, the data for December employment in the state won't be released until uh, the end of this month, January, week, next week, a week after next. And uh, we've added back 175,000 jobs of the 273. It's not the exact jobs, but we lost 273. We've had an add back, a net, a net add back of 175,000. Uh, the first few months, couple months were pretty good, and then it starts to get a little bit slower and a little bit slower. Uh, I wanted to kind of put out there projections of the employment numbers going forward at the end of each of these quarters, or months at the end of each quarter, going all the way out through fiscal year 22 for us, which fiscal years go from July to June. Just to show that the, the baseline forecasts here don't even get us back to pre-COVID levels at two years out, June of 22nd. Still 60 something, 60 plus thousand short on total employment. Uh, you have to go out to late 2023, early 2024 to get to a projection that is at the pre-COVID levels, much less, you know, beyond it. Uh, now these are projections, you know, they'll be revised. Those, those little dots will change their levels a little bit but they're not likely to dramatically change their levels. And of course, when you start going out multiple years, all projections have to be taken with you know, larger and larger grains of salt. But uh, this is what we're kind of looking at as the outlook for employment. Uh, the easy job gains have probably, add backs have been done and it gets tougher and tougher to do that. Uh, and that's just, that's kind of got me worried about how long it'll take the state FISC to recover is just looking at this, because the state FISC extracts its revenue from the underlying economy. And this is a major metric of the underlying economy, uh, total and private sector job counts. So Greg, uh, next, Greg um, as you transition to the next slide, just how, how similar is this to every other state? I mean, are we kind uh, of- Very similar. Yeah. Very that. similar. Everybody's kind of got the same picture right now. The question mark in everybody's mind is really what's the slope of those green dots and blue dots going out there. Yeah. Um, but everybody's pretty much, I mean, this happened just nationwide extremely rapidly and yeah. the quick fall off and then the recovery. And then we've had, you know, every state's gone through its, its different waves and phases of, of, of public policy lockdown as well as private sector individual fear. I mean, much of the of staying out of businesses isn't about lockdowns. It's about fear. People just aren't going, whether they are allowed to or not. And every state's kind of had the same experience here and kind of looks the same. And then, of course, we're all hoping that the, the lines going out will be steeper and we'll get back to pre-COVID earlier or quicker. Yeah. This, is, this is kind of the outlook at this moment. Yeah. Um, the next picture here is a, is a bunch of numbers, but what these numbers describe is, and I'm going to bounce back to the first one, the fall off rows, fall off March and April, those rows that show the negative drops in red lines, that's just putting the numbers to the drop from pre-COVID to the April trough month. And then the next, the, the row below it where I say add back May through November, that's the total amount of add back, the percentage of the fall of the drop that was added back and how short we still are, that, that add back row is basically the climb out from April and each dot going out from April through November actual 
and then I've just calculated well, what percentage of the loss if we of the add back is the loss. The base is two hundred seventy three thousand for total employment. For mining, it's four thousand nine hundred. Construction twenty thousand eight. Those were the losses, and then we have added back from that. Uh, and you can kind of see across here that in most of the sectors, major major uh, industry classifications, we have added back from the loss. It's it's been almost across the board, but not entirely. And there are somewhat kind of anomalies. I'm going to call them right now. Uh, for example, uh, if you just go all the way to the far right of the top set of uh, top to the retail uh, columns, I've circled it according to the monthly survey data. As of November, we've actually added back more jobs in retail than we lost in retail. I'm reluctant to believe that. Uh, and I know that there'll be uh, uh, significant revisions always happen. In, well, re the re revision process occurs in the late winter, early spring, sometime in February and or March. We will find out what 2020 and 2019 really were like the most of the revisions are, are going to occur in the immediate prior calendar year which is 2020 i don't expect these kind of, these numbers to be the same but i find that hard to believe but yeah that's what so, the current data shows us so um, um when you say that retail has recovered potentially by these numbers to a greater degree than it was pre-covid right is it where where are all these delivery drivers are they all in retail like if they most of the well depending on the establishment they would be in the transportation warehousing utility sector the fedex people and, and amazon people are pretty much are going to be there and they're down if the store actually has a delivery guy that you know delivers from the store directly they're probably going to be on the establishment payroll of the retail establishment but i think what most people think of in terms of delivery is the ups truck the fedex truck the amazon truck those are all in that column called uh, TRPS where transportation utilities yeah that's where they are uh, I just pointed out these three that th that is the most unusual one because it shows an actual add back beyond what we lost uh, and in a sector you wouldn't expect to have more than a hundred percent of the loss added back in yet but the other three that are a little more worrisome is that there's three sectors that appear to be continuing to lose even beyond the two month drop off to March and April, the COVID fall off. And the one most worrisome to me is mining sector right there in the middle of the top set of rows there, where according to this day, well, this data mining lost 4,900 jobs in two months. They lost 13% of their pre COVID level and have continued to lose. In the add back period of May through November, they've lost another 2,300 jobs for a total of 7,200. I mean, they're still short that, I mean, even more than they lost. That's a, mining is a little worrisome. Again, I know all these data, these numbers will get revised. Most revisions to Louisiana data actually go down. These numbers could get worse. Uh, and mining is important because it is the highest paid average wage. It's the highest average wage sector in the state's economy. So, Greg, I remember that when COVID struck, that at the very same time, there had been a bit of an oil crash. Is that right. what's happening here? Yeah, well, the oil, and oil started weakening in very late uh, 2019 and early 2020. Uh, but, and then it crashed down to extremely low levels before coming back. And the demand, what's happened is the demand for energy around the world 
has fallen off and has not gotten back to its pre-COVID levels. And so energy producers, in this case, states in the mining sector, and mining for Louisiana, of course, is oil and gas extraction almost entirely. Um, and so there's, a, there's been demand destruction. Even as that demand comes back, the mining is particularly worrisome to me. It's not only an immediate problem because it, it's, it's very high paid and it's affiliated with lots of other sectors that supply it, you know, fabricated metals and parts. Uh, and they, those are, they, they're, they're kept busy by the mining sector. Uh, this is very likely gonna end up being a permanently smaller employment. Historically, whenever there's a crash in the mining sector, you lose several thousand jobs you never get them all back. And it, it drops to a new plateau and a new plateau and a new plateau. And it was at, an, it was at a plateau at roughly 37,000 jobs uh, month after month after month. That's where it settled after the oil prices fell off in late 2014 and 2015. We went into a little state mini recession of our own and didn't even start recovering until middle, late 2016. And mining went from 40, uh, 50,000, 40, 45,000, 50,000 to 35 to 40,000, permanently down. And now we get hit with COVID and it looks like we're gonna lose another five, 7,000, five to 10,000, somewhere in there. We're gonna be an even smaller mining sector. So when it comes back and demand comes back online to pre-COVID levels and continues to grow, we will produce oil here with fewer workers. It, it will be permanently smaller is what it's historically done. They figure out ways to just keep doing what they're doing to return with fewer people. Uh, and, and Louisiana does not have an oil, horizontal oil production, which is the big industry model around the rest of the country. We have horizontal gas, natural gas, but almost no horizontal oil production goes on in the state. So oil demand rises, our vertical wells will produce, will produce but we don't have a horizontal sector to turn back on rapidly like will happen in Texas and some other states. Um, so we will very likely be permanently smaller. And this is a, the highest paid sector. And yeah. it's going to be permanently smaller. It's, it's worrisome to me. And then a couple other sectors, the management of companies, the sort of catch-all collection uh, uh, of commercial uh, companies. They've actually lost, they lost 400 <laughs> in the fall off and they've lost another 600 since the fall off. So it's a small number, but we still have a sector that's gotten smaller and then government has gotten a little smaller as well. Much of that has been in the local government side, not in the state. The federal side would reflect a lot of census workers that were temporarily brought on and, and then are going to be going to be dismissed. We're going to be dismissed anyway. Uh, and then the state government has not downsized dramatically. Uh, I put that column over there to the side, but most of the loss, the additional loss has been in local governments. Um, so anyway, this breaks down by lots of numbers, uh, but let's, let's get a little bit more specific here to what is important to us. Leisure and hospitality, if you look at the leisure and hospitality, middle of the column, middle column, bottom of the table, 243,000 jobs. We lost 112,046%. We have, according to this data, added back 74% of them. We're still 29,000 or so jobs short of pre-COVID, but uh, uh, that's a surprisingly rapid add back for an area that has bars, restaurants, hotels, uh, entertainment, music venues, et cetera, in there. I'm skeptical of that add back number as well, uh, but it is what 
the survey survey data is suggesting at this point. Health and social, we've added back 50%. Education services, we've added back 50%. This is private education. Public school teachers are in the government sector here. Uh, personal services, all kinds of individual haircuts to salons to tanning parlors, et cetera. Um, they've added back 58%. So we've got some sectors that are still far short of what they, what they lost. Uh, I've got another slide that kind of takes that percentage add back from COVID and summarizes in one picture here so you can kind of very quickly see most of the sectors have added back 50 plus percent of what they lost. The retail sector, according to the data, says they've added back 110%. And then the management of companies has lost 150% of what it, it's lost an additional 150%, not a large number, but a, a surprisingly large effect to them. And then of course, mining, the one that's really scary is that mining has continued to lose jobs even after we have have started our we're seven months of climb out uh, uh, from the trough and we're still losing jobs in the mining sector. Based um, on my experience in life, I'm shocked that the transportation warehouse, you know, that that isn't up. Um, up more, you say? Well, the transportation, you know, yeah. I know because you can't, it's not as easy to go shopping, you know, right. in, and there's so much more of that going on. And yeah, I agree. I, I see I see tons of Amazon trucks in my own neighborhood never used to see. Right. Um, but again, the survey data is, is what it is. Right. In revisions, some may go up, but overall, we do tend to go, go down on the revision. The levels do. These percentage changes are going to depend on what those, all those other changes are. But just a way to kind of summarize at least one of the, one of the important rows in that previous slide without, you know, being cluttered with all kinds of numbers. Uh, here, I do look at uh, initial unemployment claims. I was looking at continuing claims for a good while, but those numbers have fallen off dramatically because people have expired their traditional benefits from the state. Not, you can't necessarily say they got rehired. Uh, so I've gone back to looking at initial claims. The blue portion of each column is the traditional regular state unemployment compensation claims that have always been tracked and then a typical measure of the economy. A rising columns means more firing, falling means less firing. Uh, the uh, orange portion of each column is what are called pandemic unemployment assistance. That's the federal additional federal aid that was official additional federal eligibility where we extended unemployment comp to 1099 workers that were never, never typically eligible for unemployment comp. You need to be a W-2 worker in an establishment. Uh, so we, we've got those counts now, so I, I put them in here, but those are going to eventually run out. It's not likely we're going to permanently change the unemployment systems in the country to always be including these folks. Uh, but the numbers are there, so it kind of gives you a little idea of total initial claims for total employment as opposed to just uh, traditional uh, eligibles. What's important here is obviously the numbers have fallen off dramatically from the, the COVID event in the early weeks of it. You get down to the last six, or, the last few weeks before those last two. There's four weeks in there from uh, uh, the week ending uh, December 5th through the week ending uh, December 26th. We got down to about pretty steady 8,000 a week of traditional unemployment claims, much lower than earlier, but still a little worrisome because that that level is as low as it is relative to the pandemic period or, or the serious period, four times what was pre-pandemic norm, and I circle that over on the far left, 
the two weeks. And if you went back from weeks before that, it would, they all look like that. We were doing roughly 2,000 a week for, for many, many months. And then now we're still doing four times that. And then these last two month weeks, when I saw the first one, I thought, well, you know, a one week aberration, maybe because after Christmas people held off and then they all went into the unemployment shop after that. And then we did a second week like that. So I'm getting worried that these couple of weeks might be harbingers of something of another slowdown, um, up to 20,000 a week. So just something, it's got me worried about the outlook going, how strong will the outlook going forward be? I think there are reasons to be a little worried about it. And these are, these are a couple of little metrics. And, um, you know, just to kind of talk about like Greg's perspective is that his responsibility is to estimate the revenue so that when the budget is set, it can be set at a balanced budget. So when he worries about whether or not we'll be able to keep up the levels of revenue, he looks at the levels of unemployment and then gets concerned because I imagine, and I'm going to speak for you, that the worst thing that can happen is that revenue doesn't come in like you anticipate yeah. and then we're forced into mid-year yeah. cuts. Yeah. Yeah. So will, that's yeah. why he we'll, stays up at night. We will budget payroll with these revenue forecasts and distributions to schools and hospitals and uh, you know reimbursements for healthcare uh, and some of which we some of these expenses we really can't get out of very easily so you want a revenue forecast that that, that you can reasonably meet uh, I would prefer really to underestimate a little bit every year every time as opposed to overestimate you know if you underestimate you still get the money and we have procedures for what we can do with that uh, you just don't want to, you know, grossly underestimate, of course. Right. But uh, if you overestimate and you're in the you're in the middle of the fifth of the year, or a couple of times during the year, you're making dramatic changes to your budget and your planning as you're going, and you don't really have a lot of time to do it. We just start slashing across the board, and it's very disruptive to the, the flow of governmental services that people depend on, and school districts depend on, and health systems depend on, and you know. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, I, I want to make the forecasts and I get worried about things that, you know, put it at risk. Um, the next slide here is, uh, Julie's favorite slide is the history of uh, the state's uh, tax revenue. The blue line is what I would call total tax uh, at, the, at the REC level. And then there's a general fund line where we, we take a bunch of dedication, dedicate, we slice various dollars off of the total tax and dedicated away that leaves us with general fund direct money which is what we focus on a lot in the budget when we have to actually start cutting things or adjusting in the during the mid-year or adjusting in the session it's the general fund line that becomes very important to people so this slide shows just a lot of the story of louisiana's uh, uh, economy and revenue picture since i started here in fiscal year 90 uh, and i run through 15 years to fiscal year 06 pretty you know relatively stable growth path uh 4.7 annual total growth 3.9 percent a year general fund growth and then of course the storms katrina rita hit us and uh we end up with this giant run-up of revenue as people basically trying to rebuild south louisiana uh, private savings insurance money federal government poured money in um, and uh, we peaked out in fiscal year 08 in terms of state revenue collections. And by that time, shortly after that, you know, the economy was going in, the U.S. economy was going into the Great Recession. Uh, the 
post uh, the, the post Katrina Rita rebuild was slowing down uh, as the economy weakens. Of course, people get a little bit more cautious about anything they're doing. Um, the U.S. Great Recession kept catches us. Energy price drops. You remember, in the summer of 2008, we were running up 120 to 100. We got to almost 150 dollars a barrel oil price, and um, then it fell off. And you know, it, it lost in five months what it gained in five years. And so oil prices just dropped. And then, of course, we began cutting taxes. You know, we had some. We, we just we didn't know what to do with the revenue coming in. We started repealing uh, in two phases. Uh, for the most part, the Stelly income tax component of the Stelly plan, which started back in the beginning of 2000, um, and and then, then lots of other uh, in in the post uh, storm period, lots of uh, additional tax credits and uh, et cetera passed in. But the trough the trough year was at fiscal year 10. Everything sort of hit, you know, in terms of a revenue hit there, and we began to climb out. But you can see fast and then slower and then slower and then slower uh, until we had another mini recession in fiscal year 15, 16. That's when the oil prices fell off again. And we went into our own little recession. And uh, we had to, John Bell administration came in and in the last quarter of his first year, he was uh, having to uh, add the fifth penny and add increase. We actually increased alcohol and beer taxes. We haven't changed those taxes since 1948. And uh, we did them then. Tobacco and, and a variety of other things. Uh, credit, all those credit shaves and reductions to exemption and credit programs began uh, in 2015 actually, but uh, extended on into 16. And uh, so we raised revenue until then we finally uh, gave up the, the fifth penny expired. We argued over how much to renew and we renewed what 0.45 cents of that. So revenue have fallen off, and then fiscal year 20 is at the tail end of that is when COVID hit us. So 20 was got worse, and then we're down into 21, and there's the, the forecast horizon as FY21 forward. We're in FY21 now, we're like roughly halfway through it, right? So that's still a forecast number. The blue and the red lines are the forecasts that were made for those fiscal years back in May of 2020. And we haven't changed those until just yesterday. And I've then imposed the changes on uh, both of those revenue concepts. That would be the green squares and the sort of gray triangles. Um, we raised the current year. Things have done. We came down really hard on the forecast in the current year and federal support has really helped us. And we came down too much. We're gonna end up collecting more than we thought back in May. We've adjusted that up, but we've gotten more cautious about uh, fiscal year 22 and 23 and the recovery. I don't want to, if we came down, we came down real hard, maybe we bounced back up too much. However, I, I don't want to dismiss the fact that it's, it's not impossible to have a rapid climb out of here. Like we said before, we just, we got, we got a little nervous. We got a little, we're trying to be cautious and we can always add money back at later RECs. And we slowed the we slowed the growth and the climb out um, at this at like I said yesterday's meeting uh, with with and the, and, the, and the groundwork was laid in the meeting for uh, you know meeting again in a couple of months three two months three months and we always meet during the session to get that last look at it and to, for final appropriations and we know we'll be able to you know come back and 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 we hope we're adding money back at a later point when it's time to actually do appropriations.
Um, yeah. That's that was kind of that story there. But so I wanted to, um, you know, just kind of before we get into Chris's um, angle, which is going to be trying to set the, the budget and what we're going to spend this lessened amount of money on. Um, one of the things, if you're not looking and you're just listening to this as a podcast, um, when you look at this slide, what you see for fiscal years 1990 through 2005 is a fairly stable revenue picture. Um, right. There's little jogs up and down, but nothing as overwhelming as what you see after Hurricane Katrina or yeah. even after we dip um, with the oil crash in 15 um, and the recovery and then enacting the, the extra penny and the ex extra penny falling off and then going with the 0.45 pennies. These are all very wide shifts. Yeah. But those, yeah. those 15 years, um, when, when you sort of draw a line through those years and then you draw that straight line out into the future, one of the things that it makes you wonder, because that sort of like, it, it sort of draws a line to what if everything just kept inflating with inflation, what spending might look like now. Well, and yeah. Is that wrong or right? No, no, I, I would say that spending, at least from these, these revenue sources, total tax and total general fund, which is a subset of total tax. So look at the blue line, really. Spending would look like that. Yeah, it can't look any different than that. We we can we have to run balanced budgets. So if in any given year I've got total tax of you know ten billion, that's it. Yeah, but what what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is if if you draw a line through that relatively stable time and then you continue that line out into the future. Right, right now our spending and our revenues are you know, underneath, they're, they're below. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we permanently reduced our tax base. Right. Uh, 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 after Katrina, and particularly with the, uh, I mean, we would have, if, if we hadn't done that, we would have returned, very likely returned to this, these pre-storm paths. These two lines are pre-storm paths. Right. And there was no reason why we would have done anything other than ultimately return to that path. Uh, and, and look a lot like FY90 to FY05 in that FY, post FY0809 period and recession period. Because yeah. even in that 15 years before, there are recessions. The business cycle is still going on. And that's what it amounted to for us. Uh, yeah. Katrina, of course, was unbelievably gigantic. Katrina Rita events were just unbelievably gigantic. Well, and the tax changes that were made at that time. Yeah. What I like to explain to people, because so many people, there's a lot of misinformation out there that our spending is so wildly out of control now, as opposed to in our past, or that some anomaly has happened to make it higher. But I, I like to show people this graph to help them to understand that after this anomaly happened after Katrina, and we got rid of part of our revenue base in a lot of different ways, that once we crashed below the normal rent revenue and spending, we've never gotten back up to those earlier numbers. So in essence, what you see here is that our government has shrunk. And for so many people out there that want to see that, I kind of want to let them know that that actually is a reality, that it hasn't, um, that we have actually shrunk government right. in, 
you know, in that perspective. Yeah. And the, the, the constant uptick of that line is inflation. I mean, you can look at running your own household and know that you can't run your right, household right. in 2021 yeah, I mean, on what you ran it in 1990. Yeah, these numbers are going to go up every year if we do nothing because of inflation, if nothing else. Right. Uh, and I will point you, Julie, to our, our website. I've got a couple of pieces on there that talk about uh, the size of state government as economists would look at it, as a share of the, the economy. And Louisiana's spending as a share of the economy is extremely stable over a 20 year long horizon. Um, we're actually right at the norm for the states overall. I've got a piece that looks at all 50 states and a piece that looks at just Louisiana. And uh, where you see higher growth or more spending, it's in federally funded healthcare for all practical purposes. It's the federal contribution to Louisiana. The state, state effort, which is this top blue line plus other fees and self-generated revenue that's not counted in here, is constrained by, you know, we, we, we can only, we extract from the economy, we can only spend what we extract. So unless you were continuously or constantly increasing your tax rates and bases year after year after year, you can't spend faster than your, you can't grow your spending faster than your economy's growing. And the fact is we don't raise taxes or expand tax bases year after year after year after year after year. We don't do it. Right. Of course we don't. It's a political decision. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. And when we raise taxes, it's because the legislature ultimately became convinced they absolutely had to. Well, it gets so the, that's the fifth any decision. It, right. And that's what I see is that nobody in Baton Rouge wants to raise taxes. No, of course not. So fallout. Um, but I think, you know, there, there is some misperception out there, and I do like to clear that out, that, you know, if, if your taxes, if something happens where your taxes get raised like they did in 16 and, um, well, really in 16 and then continued in yeah. a couple of years later, it's because times are desperate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, Greg, I really appreciate this, um, this, you know, helpful information about Louisiana's revenue picture. And now I, I, I'd like to kind of turn over to Chris and see, right. um, I'm going you know, to stop my share. Yeah. And, uh, Chris can jump in here. Yep. And how does Louisiana spend, spend what it has and not spend what it doesn't have, which is sort of our situation at the moment. He's bringing up his slide right now, but um, that that slide while he's bringing up that slide, that slide that Greg just had on. Um, if you're listening by podcast, um, it, it it is a really interesting one to look at, and when you understand the political context and you know Katrina and the brand new legislature after term limits for the first time, it's, it's really an interesting story to to see all in one graph. All right. Julie, I'll email you this, this slide set and that slide so you've got it if you want to just hand it, you can give it to anybody you want. I mean. Oh, cool. Yeah, maybe we can put it as a link so that if you watch the podcast, you can you can peek at it without having to go through the whole video cast. If that's a thing that we can do, I'll find out. All right, Chris, show us what you've got. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a long discussion on revenues. <laughs> you know, as you said, Julie, the, the Louisiana Constitution says we have to have a balanced budget. You can't spend what you don't have. So that's the first order of business always is for the conference to adopt official forecast. 
And the pandemic really had a bigger impact on the state general fund revenues than it did on, than it did on the budget side because we, we were able to use CARES dollars. As Greg said earlier, uh, the, the uh, fiscal year 20 budget was reduced uh, in revenue by about $100 million and 21 was reduced by about $800 million. We got $1.8 billion of federal CARES dollars and we were able to use that uh, on coronavirus related expenses to kind of shore up the current year's budget. And as Greg showed you, um, we have the current year's budget's okay. We typically look at three years when we look at the budget. We looked at last year, the current year, and next year. And last year in fiscal year 20, we ended fiscal year 20 with a surplus. Um, for, for the current year and for next year, um, we're just trying to maintain status quo. And that's why we were able to, we were able to do that by using CARES dollars. You know, we ended fiscal year 20 with a $247 million surplus. Um, and it's largely due to the return of gaming revenues. At the time, I think Greg mentioned that the time the revenue estimating conference did the forecast, yeah. gaming was pretty much shut down. And so we went into, I guess, uh, March, May with gaming shut down. Well, it ended up coming back. That came back. Um, we had uh, higher returns in corporate and ind individual income. So we ended the year with a surplus. Um, the Constitution limits that surplus to six things that you can do. At least 25% of that surplus has to be put into the rainy day fund. At least 10% of that has to go to pay the unfunded accrued liability of the retirement systems. And then the rest of it can be used for either those two things or to defease debt, use for capital outlay. You can use it for transportation where there's federal matching dollars and also coastal protection fund. So those are the constitutional uses of that surplus. Um, for the current year, as Greg showed in the, in, in yesterday, the revenue estimating conference adopted, we're gonna be okay with the current year uh, unless something bad happens. But I think we're gonna be okay with the current year. They're projecting uh, more money that's, in the, than, that's currently in the forecast. So we shouldn't have to make any budget cuts in the current year. Um, so I think- Right. 21. Okay, Chris, is your slideshow supposed to be progressing right now? No, I'm going to, I'm going to okay, get to sorry. that. Um, sure. And then, um, and then we typically look at next year. So I'll, I'll, I'll go to that now. So actual 1920, this was the budget. The existing budget is about $40 billion. This is on paper. Now you can see the general fund was at 9.8 billion. On paper, it's 9.3 billion, but we used some interagency transfers and some dedicated CARES money to shore up the general fund. So uh, the, the existing budget should be okay. We shouldn't have to make those mid-year cuts that you were discussing that, that you would you might have to make if you had over forecasted. Um, for next year, 21-22 is going to be the challenge. Um, agencies have requested 10.6. $10.7 billion of state general fund. And um, we actually had a, a, was a $229 million downgrade to the forecast. So uh, prior to the revenue estimating conference meeting, the five-year forecast showed a projected shortfall of about a half a billion dollars. So about $500 million or so. Um, I think the commissioner had mentioned it was about they had gotten it down to about 380 million. Yesterday, the forecast met and reduced the revenues by another 229 million. 
So that $380 million now becomes a projected shortfall of uh, almost $600 million. So that's $600 million to keep the departments functioning at the same level. They call it, we call it continuation. To keep them functioning at exactly what they're doing now, they're gonna be short about $680 million. But they've requested more? Have they requested more than that? They've, they've requested about that. A well, they've requested a little bit more than that. Um, but um, but it's, so they're gonna be short that, and that's based on continuation. A lot of that is replacing the CARES dollars. So um, it, there was about a billion dollars of one-time uh, CARES dollars, rainy day fund, the use of federal uh, Medicaid uh, match rate money, um, and the, we use some lottery proceeds money. So all those dollars that were used in the current fiscal year here uh, to shore up the budget need to either be replaced or cut. So the commissioner's working with the state departments, the agencies right now, having meetings, saying, where can you cut your budget? What can you give up? So that's kind of what they're doing. They thought they were gonna have to cut about $380 million. After yesterday, add another 229 million to that. So they're up to about 600 or so million dollars that they're gonna have to reduce um, as the governor presents the executive budget because the budget has to be balanced to what the revenue estimating conference said. And, and so for those of you that, that heard our um, podcast a few weeks ago with uh, Commissioner Jay Darden, that's who we're referring to as the commissioner, that's working on all of the um, individual agency budgets around the state. And they were working with a need that was 229, that would be funded by an additional $229 million that just kind of went away yesterday. That's correct. Revenue outlooks aren't as strong as they were. So, you know, our guest that we had just a few weeks ago, his life just got a little bit harder as of yesterday. Well, the conference, uh, there were two estimates and, and uh, the division administration's estimate was, would be down $35 million. And uh, the legislative fiscal office, which was ultimately adopted was $229 million lower. Now, Greg says there's some upside. There's some, some optimism as he, uh, as he talked about. Uh, the federal government could come in with another stimulus package. They just did in December for certain sectors, nothing to replace revenue loss, uh, but that's certainly on the table with uh, this new federal administration. So that, that could be something that the states could look towards. Um, this, is a, this is a slide uh, picture of the existing, the existing operating budget. And you can see in the bottom right, it's about $40.4 billion. Um, most of your money, course is in the Department of Health. It's at $17.8 billion. And in federal funds, that's about $12.8 billion. In general fund, which Greg was talking about, our, our state general fund, this is where your taxes are, your income taxes, your sales taxes. You can see most of it is spent in elementary and secondary education, $3.7 billion. The Department of Health at $2.3 billion. And higher education at roughly a billion. So those are your three big users of your tax dollars. Some agencies you can see uh, seven or so, Treasure, Public Service Commission, Revenue, Environmental Quality, Wildlife and Fisheries do not use any state general fund. They rely on fees and dedicated funds. You can see when you're talking about where are your state tax dollars spent, this is where they're spent. Last year, we spent 9.8 billion in the state general fund. You can see 
the blue share of the pie. K-12 education spent 3.8 billion, about 40% of your tax dollars are spent in elementary education. The next biggest user, user is healthcare at 2.3 billion, that's 24%. Higher education, roughly a billion dollars and 11%. And then, uh, and by the way, uh, 18 years ago, this was about 16% we used to spend on higher education. But when you started talking about post Katrina and uh, the fall, that, that fall down of revenue, not up to that line, higher education absorbed a lot of that. And they basically did it through tuition increases on the students. And then you can see your other shares of, of uh, where your state tax dollars are spent, about 7% on public safety and corrections and on and on, about 9% on general government. Um, speaking of state general fund, this, this is your state general fund expenditures and it mirrors exactly what Greg talked about in revenues. I go back to prior to the storms in fiscal year 04, we were spending about $6.5 billion. Uh, today, we're at 9.8 billion. And so that's about a $3.3 billion increase over that time. And as Greg said, that's about a 3% increase, uh, average increase over those years. That 3.3 billion, this is who got the money. The Department of Health got about 1.5 billion of that. That's about 46%. Elementary and secondary education, 1.2 billion of that, that's 38%. And those two combined were 84%. Higher education, they're roughly where they were 18 years ago. Um, less than 1% growth in higher education and state tax dollars. And then your other areas of state government grew by about um, 15% at $500 million. Yeah. So that just uh, is a quick look at the budget, where we spend our money, um, where we spend the tax dollars that y'all were talking about in the revenues. And going forward, you know, uh, next year, 2022, it's going to be a challenge. I know the governor has to present a balanced budget. The revenue estimating conference will probably come back as they usually do sometime during session after a few months to see what's happened at the federal level. See if that line Greg was showing you that's going up slightly is gonna step up a little bit more in terms of jobs and economic recovery and see what that'll do to the revenue picture. And then there may be some adjustments to the budget in fiscal year 22. Absent some federal recovery, it's going to be uh, some pretty significant cuts across the board. In, in, uh, and really in elementary education and, and healthcare, those are kind of mandated. Our elementary education, is funded through the minimum foundation program. They're kind of locked into what they're spending now in terms of next year. If we don't adopt a new uh, formula for elementary and secondary education, it goes back to the prior formula. Healthcare, um, you see we're spending a lot of our general fund on healthcare. Uh, if you have a Medicaid program, you have to provide certain levels of service. Um, you have to have access to care. Also in healthcare, for every dollar you spend, you get a federal match of $2. Um, two to three dollars. So um, when you cut a dollar of health care, you're really cutting three to four dollars of, of total budget. Um, and so I, I showed you earlier, these are the three bit bigs, Department of Health, Elementary, and Higher Education. So when you're talking about discretionary general fund dollars, if you go back to this slide, you can look and see if you have to cut six hundred million dollars, you can eliminate all of these 
you're not going to get to 600. You're not going to balance the budget on culture, recreation, and tourism. You're not going to balance 600 million there. You're not going to balance it uh, on the Secretary of State or the Department of Civil Service. Um, 600 million dollars is pretty significant, and you've got really, and correction services, you know, short of uh, I, we've already had uh, justice reform where we released low-level offenders. So really, your correction services are locked in right there. Um, so you're really looking at really kind of two areas of state government, the Department of Health and Higher Education to take care of $600 million. So that's why I kind of showed you this slide. Right. Those and, are uh, all the slides I have. And people, you know, I, I went ahead, Chris, and if we could go to that slide that um, um, I took the, the state general fund um, in 2004, which was, you said, 6537000000 and inflation adjusted it on my little data.bureauoflaborstatistics.gov, BLS.gov, and it, it inflates to $9,193,000,000, nine and it's at $9.8 billion instead. So it's 9.2 versus 9.8. So people, first of all, I, I think it's, it's, it's easy not to realize that from 2004 through 2021, that inflation alone accounts for the vast majority of the increase from the spending levels, you know, over those years. But, um, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to rationalize, like, that last 0.6 or that last $600 million. I think a lot of that probably picks up as the two highest costs or the two highest proportions of our budget are healthcare and education. And the, the, the inflation rate used in healthcare expenses is much greater than the inflation rate that's used generally by an economist, right, Greg? Is that true? Right. You know, your healthcare expenditures do typically grow faster than just typical headline consumer inflation. I mean, that's that's been observed for many years. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's one of the ways that I've always had to try to look at it, you know, as to why the increase is greater than just inflation might have allowed for. Um, and for those of you that are listening or watching, you know, and just trying to understand you know, the business of the state is it that it is mandated to take care and manage the Medicaid system for the residents of our state. So this massive amount of money comes into the state every year from the federal government and is managed by our state to provide those Medicaid services or the healthcare services to our state. Um, and like Chris said, for every dollar that we cut out of our healthcare spending as a state, out of our state general fund portion, we lose, would you say, Chris, was it two or three dollars? dollars of federal funding. Yeah. So every cut that you make, you know, is just, is so much greater. Um, and it, it doesn't just impact, it impacts our residents, it impacts our hospitals, it impacts our, all of our healthcare establishments. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot to balance. And, you know, a lot of times when I know uh, being a legislator, when people would say, well, why are the same areas cut all the time? And it's healthcare, higher ed, because you really can't cut a K through 12 education because it's subject to its formulas in the constitution. So why do you cut healthcare and higher ed? Because, 
you know, that's basically, I remember it being about 80% of what you can cut, you know, because right. everything else is small dollars, like Chris had mentioned. So, um, and that really three, that three one match, uh, if, if you're still looking at this screen, that yeah. 2.3 billion plus the fees plus this, uh -huh. all that combined is what, uh, almost $4 billion and we're getting almost 13. Yeah. So we're getting $3 of federal money for our state effort right. combined. So that's why when I say, when you cut those dollars, you're cutting, remember uh, Medicaid expansion is a 90, 10 match. So for every dollar we put up, we're getting $9 from the federal government. They're paying for nine, 90% on the Medicaid expansion population. So, um, so we do have a pretty significant match rate. And when Greg was talking about, you want to kind of err on the, on the low side. If you, if you overestimate revenues by two to $300 million and they don't, and, and you go back in December and redo that forecast and you're two to $300 million short, now you're half a year gone. And that two to $300 million becomes a $600 million problem that you have to cut because a lot of the money in regular, not in healthcare, but in regular forms of state government is in personnel services, which means you have to lay somebody off. So that $300 million cut becomes a $600 million cut. And you can see, you can't, you can't cut $600 million out of these. It's just impossible that it's math, it doesn't work. So it's right here in healthcare and here in higher education where, where the money is and that's where the cuts and, and, you know, people also talk about dedicated funds. Well, if we undedicated these funds, but these, these dedicated funds have a constituency, the legislature voted to, to dedicate these funds. Right. So. Well, besides that, those dedicated funds are all funding some operations, some activity and okay. Undedicate the fund. You still got to figure out how you're going to fund what are all what those departments are doing with those with that particular means of finance? You, you don't get rid of the expenditures, you right? Still and, and to, you still have to deal with them. To uh, that point, so look at wildlife and fisheries. They're dedicated funds of 102 million dollars. Okay, that's your conservation fund. That's the money that people pay in their hunting and fishing licenses to go hunt and fish, which a lot of that is going to pay wildlife agents to manage the, the, the hunting and fishing. We're not, if you undedicate this, people are not going to pay a hunting and fishing license so you can go use it in the Department of Health. You're still gonna have to pay a hunting and fishing license to use it here. Same thing with the Department of Environmental Quality. Um, uh, they have money that's dedicated here in the Department of Environmental Quality, which business and industry pays a permit fee so that they can be regulated. Business and industry is not going to pay a permit fee that's, that's not dedicated, so you can go use it for agriculture and forestry or the attorney general's office. So that's why those funds are dedicated. Greg's right, even if you undedicate them, you still have to do those services. And th these, these are specific fees that have been statutorily dedicated. Most of these are fees. These are not, most of these are not general fund that's been dedicated to this. It's a fee that's been dedicated specifically for that purpose. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, and part of why, um, 
it, 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 we like to dispel a lot of like the rhetoric. And I know that when you listen to the state budget, you know, and you look at this spreadsheet that's on the screen right now, it kind of feels like drinking from the fire hose. And it sort of is, it's a lot of information and there's a lot of nuance and it's complicated. And, you know, that makes for things that are really easy to spin. And um, these two guys, I rely on for a no spin zone, you know, and it's, it's the kind of place where you can go to really have understanding of it. And, you know, I really, I thank you guys for being here today and um, bringing, bringing the fire hose of information. So um, there's plenty more that you can get if you Google their respective web, their website at the uh, Louisiana Legislative Fiscal Office. And you can actually also Google the um, House Fiscal Division and find a lot of information on the state's finances. Um, you know, and really research the, the what's going on in our state and what the actual spending levels and revenue levels look like. We're, we're going into a fiscal session this year. And um, the reason why this is important, especially this year, is because it's the first fiscal session of a legislative term, which means that there's more likelihood, more possibility of really meaningful tax legislation being done in this session than, than, than there will be like in the last fiscal session of their term, which is an election year. Um, you know, some of the things that we talked about today are some of the reasons why it will be difficult to do a lot of the kind of reform that involves dollars, you know. People talk about wanting to get rid of individual income tax or wanting to get rid of franchise tax or any other, you know, kind of tax. And when you look at the situation that our state is in already, you know, it, it really drives home how complicated that will be, you know, when we try to unravel that. But um, I want to thank both of you for being here today. It's about all the time we have. Um, but thank you to Greg Albrecht and Chris Keaton. Um, two guys that just provide so much information for our state and so valuable. We really appreciate you guys. Um, for those of you that are listening or watching, we hope that you'll be able to join us for our virtual annual conference. It'll be taking place over three days, but presented as one event. On January 28th, we will be presenting on the state budget, and that will include the revenue side and potential tax reform, along with more information and the ability to interact with our guests and ask them questions. On February 5th, we'll be handling workforce and the economy. And then finally, on February 11th, we'll be dealing with infrastructure. Um, we'll be joined by all of our video cast guests. And if you are interested in attending, um, visit our website for more details. You can register th for the event there. It's uh, www.elevatela.org. That's Elevate with two L's or E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E-L-A.org. Um, for those of you who are listening, if you're interested in joining Elevate, you can also visit that website and you can also find a link there to watch all of our interviews and that you can also listen to all of our interviews everywhere that you find your podcasts um, by looking up Elevate's Engage Podcasts. And finally, don't forget to share this videocast or podcast with your social network if you found it interesting. I'm your host, Julie Stokes, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.